Let me pray, and let's jump into Revelation, the first three verses. Heavenly Father, help me and help us. Holy Spirit, come and by grace maybe remove even some of our preconceived notions and ideas, things we've seen in movies or even read in books, but let's give us the grace to take a few moments before we take communion as a family to see what this revelation is about. Be honored now. Make your son great in our hearts and minds, even more so than when we walked in. In Jesus' name, amen. I have on my notes, Revelation, Kim can attest, and I go, ah, because there's a lot of thought about Revelation, right? First of all, just it's not Revelations. There was one Revelation, and it was given to a man named John. We'll talk about him about halfway through. Let me read the first three verses of the book of Revelation, and it goes like this. Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And verse 3, John saw a lot, by the way. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is the key verse. So if we do get to teach this book for uh, some time, Revelation 1-3 is the key verse. Because if we just hear it and let our imagination go wild, we miss the point. Because what this gentleman John is trying to say is, you are blessed the same way we're blessed in the Sermon on the Mount and other places. We're blessed... When we obey, right? That's Jesus' ministry. Here's the kingdom. Here's what's required. Now I charge you to obey. So much of the time, in my experience growing up in the Western church, talking about revelation, it wasn't about obedience. It was about dragons and beasts. But there's something here for us, okay? Revelation literally means apocalypse, which makes us... Kind of, ooh, that's fun. We have our wild and grandiose ideas of what apocalypse could be, but let me tell you what it means according to John. Apocalypse means the unveiling, the revealing, or the pulling back. It doesn't mean, the word apocalypse at least, tens of millions of people dying in a battle. But apocalypse means the unveiling, the revealing, or the pulling back, okay, don't look at our dirty laundry in here, but I'm going to reveal what's behind the curtain, Jack, and everyone gasp. That's apocalypse, the way it's written. Okay, now I'll cover it back up. Praise the Lord, right? Amen? But what we're getting at is, this is what it means, this is what this author was trying to write. It does not mean doomsday, the word apocalypse, catastrophe, or the end. Now, Revelation is the end of the Bible. It's the end of the canon of Scripture. It closes the deal. But what John, the author, is trying to do is to unveil the fullness of Jesus Christ, to reveal the fullness of who he is in his glory. Now, I will give you, it is the most confusing book in the Bible. There have been hundreds of books written on the book of Revelation. 
Most of them disagree. That should, that, should, that should tell us what? Okay, it's kind of confusing, right? But we're going to try and do a little work here and see if there's any interest. If this sermon or other things Revelation interests you, let me know because I want to pray through that and I want to teach it right if we teach it. Some of the early reformers weren't sure about this letter, this book, this writing. And some of their comments were, I don't see Jesus' teachings and I don't see Jesus in the book. And they actually, some of them, wanted to kind of maybe cut off the Bible before Revelation. That's okay. That was their opinion. Reading it, one way you could come to that conclusion, but if we read it, I would say with eyes of grace, and I'll show the point in a second, in a different way, I would argue the book of Revelation portrays Jesus Christ as beautiful and stunning if we see it a certain way. We need to understand what Revelation is and equally as important what it's not. I know the book of Revelation is not this. The book of Revelation is not a code to unlock geopolitical events in the 21st century, I'm sorry. It's not. So we know it's not that. At least we got one, okay? Let me say it again. The book of Revelation is not to be decoded to unlock geopolitical events in the 20th and 21st century. So if that's an understanding, walk with me. I'm going to try and persuade you and convince you why it's not that. So that's what it's not. Most of the grand geo stuff written in the last 50 years, the stuff that made, has made even lots of money, take Revelation <laughs> as a writing that can be de- decoded to gain insight and knowledge to geopolitical events in our time. It's not that. So everyone breathe deep. And if you think it's that, hang with me for 14 more minutes. Okay? Everyone's yawning already. So this is a good Revelation sermon, right? John the Revelator, we'll talk about him in a second, uses metaphor and creative symbol throughout his writing. None of it is literal. That's important. Doesn't mean it's not true. Here's the rub of Revelation. If we see it a certain way, we get it. If we don't, we kind of go, I don't know. And there's much about this book that I don't know, even though I studied it for a few weeks, I need to study it more if I want to teach it. But John the Revelator is writing what was revealed to him, and he's using creative symbol and metaphor only. He's not using literal thought or language or literal prophecy per se. Hear this. What he's writing is true. It's enduringly true because it's about Jesus Christ, but it's not, I'll say it this way. Picture we're in the year 4017. Will the earth still be here? I don't know. Picture if we find a piece of paper, we're walking along San Carlos, and we see a picture dated November 9th, 2016. And then on the picture, we see an elephant with his hand raised, kicking a donkey in the corner with a donkey crying. What would that be? A political what? Cartoon? If we were alive in the year 4017, would we have any clue what that meant 2,000 years ago? No, you wouldn't. Don't be that proud. (laughs) 
you would write books and stories about what you think it meant. And you might even write books and stories about this huge elephant, because in the picture the elephant's 20 feet tall and the donkey's like a foot and a half tall. And you would go, at some point, somebody got a vision of 50-foot elephants walking around killing all the livestock. And we would go, okay, 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 okay. And we would venture, and that's okay. But what I'm trying to say is revelation given to us by John the the Revelator, John the Divine even, was much more like a commentary on political things in the first and second century than it is about political things in the 30th century. So remember that. And we can get a lot of places. That's where we see Jesus. That's where we see the gospel. Okay? When we pick and choose between metaphor and literal, what do we do? We kind of create our own gospel. The way I see Revelation, we either got to go, it's 100% literal or it's 100% symbol and metaphor. And I think the latter of what we talked about is the safest way to go. This is symbolic. The lamb with seven eyes is symbolic. The beast with seven heads is symbolic. The locust and the river of blood and the bloody moon is symbolic. But we can learn because it's, the symbolism is pointing to enduring truth. Again, it's all true, deeply true, eternally true, but we need to see it the, the way it was written. As I said, one reason there's so much mystery to us about this book, it was written 2,000 years ago. Real quickly, this book was written somewhere between 90 and 93 of the first century. This was under the reign of Emperor Domitian. He was a nice emperor. He was an emperor that actually looked on Christians kindly in the Roman system. 30 years prior, you might have heard of him, there was a a Caesar named Nero. He was a bad dude. He actually, they believe, started, he started a fire in his own city, burnt a third of the city down, killed thousands of people, and then blamed the Christians only to do that so the whole city would turn against the who? Christians. And persecution was alive and well. And Christians were being slaughtered by the masses under Nero. But 30 years later, under Domitian, things had kind of settled down. And then John, who I'm going to say, the author of this book is not John the Apostle, the son of Zebedee. Freaked you out, huh? Because I, I, I believe that growing up in the church for 40 years. But after looking into it, there's a couple reasons. One, technically the Greek is way different. Just go with me. Google it later. It's way different. Okay? But John the Revelator, one, how common was the name of John in the first century until today? It's very common. Two, he didn't claim authority the way he did in other ways, John the Apostle. And three, in the first centuries of the church, this book barely got in the canon. And one of the reasons we think it barely got in the canon because they knew John the Apostle didn't write it. If John the Apostle wrote it and that's what they thought, it would have been like, no problem. But this book literally got in by the skin of its pages. So now you're freaked out. John, scholars believe, was probably the pastor or bishop in the seven churches mentioned in the first three chapters. He was the man, the pastor in Asia Minor, which is now Western Turkey, for you geography people, And he would go from church to church and oversee everything. 
he would go to Ephesus and Smyrna and Laodicea, and he would make sure things were going well. And as he began to teach and see some things, he was put into political exile in Patmos. Even though things were better, some of the Roman officials didn't like what he was saying. And what was he saying? The book of Revelation, the main message, we'll get there. So that I've completely freaked you out. If you still believe John the Apostle wrote this book, no problem. It's not a do or die hill, right? This is just some of the things we see throughout the book. It was written and given to us for a reason. Eventually he is exiled, and that's where he gets this vision of revelation. John the Revelator was living in a time where, here it is, Christians were beginning to become comfortable with the Roman Empire. What happens when persecution stops? Christians set their arms back and go, we got it good. And what was happening toward the end of the first century is Christians were no longer being persecuted by Domitian, and they had one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the Roman Empire. And that's why John the Revelator, we believe, got the revelation, and he started to critique that, and that's the main reason probably why he was sent far, far away. If Courtney started walking around San Carlos, and the city council didn't like it, and started saying some things about the kingdom of God and saying, you can't live completely 100% in allegiance to San Carlos and Jesus Christ, and we didn't want to kill Courtney because that was bad politically. Domitian was smart. What would we do with Courtney? Have fun in Brisbane, Courtney. That's what we do. Or wherever we go, right? That's what we do. Okay? That's what we would do. Just go. And so if John is pastoring and overseeing these churches in and around this area, that's what, another reason we think it might not be John the Apostle because he was in Jerusalem, and he's preaching this message, we don't want to kill him anymore because that's bad PR. Let's just send him away. And when they sent him away, we believe God gave him this revelation. And he wrote it down. And he used symbol and some imaginary, I'm sorry, he uses imagination communicating truth. So that's this background of this book. The main point was Sand's persecution, the, the severe persecution had stopped. Christians began to be comfortable living in the empire, which was at its heart an antichrist empire. And John is teaching them. He writes to comfort and to challenge Christians not to fully commit themselves to be wed to the Roman Empire or any empire. He's screaming off the pages, don't be comfortable with the empire. At its heart, it is a seven-headed what? Beast. Don't divorce Jesus and get remarried to empire because at its heart, it will devour you. And he uses imagery. And he uses crazy visions that he received to communicate this. And so that's what is going on. Let's define empire. Biblically, according to John and other parts of scriptures, Biblically, empire is defined as this. 
It's a powerful nation that believes they have divine right and responsibility to shape the world according to their will, and the empire is willing to use violence and death to accomplish it. So at its heart, what is an empire? It's a beast. All empires that have ever been. An empire, a nation gets in trouble when they believe, I don't think the U.S. is here, but maybe pockets. When the leadership, usually one man, ladies, you get off the hook on this one, (laughs) usually either born into the right, like an emperor or a king, when they believe that they have taken on the divine and they have the right and the responsibility to shape the world according to their pleasure, and here's the caveat, they use violence and death to accomplish it. John says, don't get in bed with that because that is a beast. It's an affront on, it's a double affront to God. One, violence and death he hates. Two, empires try to thrust themselves to the forefront and get what God has willingly given to his son, Jesus Christ. That's why John's like, don't mess with that. Jesus Christ, because of who he is and what he's done, God the Father has willingly and rightfully given him the charge that he and he alone should shepherd and lead all nations, that he should love and show grace in a way that will bring forth his purposes over centuries. So the empire tries to grab it with violence and death. How does Jesus lead? By the laying down of his own life. That's why it's an affront to God. That's why John, the revelator, is encouraging Christians Don't go to bed with empire. It will leave you destroyed. May your allegiance be solely to Jesus Christ who brings life and abundant life at that. One way is the way of man and the way of the bully. What's the way of the bully? Go sit over there. Say no. Go sit over there. I would pick her up, harm her, and remind her, next time I speak, you do it or you get harmed again. That's empire. That's man at its worst. There's also the servant way, the Jesus Christ way. Sister, um, would you go sit over there? Say no. I'm prompter at this point, right? Why won't you go sit over there? Say, I can't. Oh, I see that. Yeah, that's a big divide. There's sin and issues I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to lay down my life and build you a bridge so you can walk over here in peace and grace. And then I, all I ask is that you would turn from your ways and pledge your allegiance to me and follow me with the rest of your life. That's a little corny, but that's in some ways the gospel. So there's the bully way, the empire way, which is figure it out, Bill and Debbie. You got one warning or we're coming with the what? The IRS or a battalion, you pick, right? That's what we'll do nowadays, okay? And there's the servant way, the Jesus way, who leads by example, who teaches about the kingdom of God, who goes the full way, who lays his own life down, and who woos our allegiance by the giving of his own life, not taking it. 
That's the difference. Every empire falls short of Jesus' way. That's why John, the pastor, is warning Christians in Asia Minor. And that's why this book still rings true, right? Many people in the world would say we're an empire and they would hate us. I don't know. I don't think so. I'm a U.S. citizen, so I'm not going to go fully that way. But as Christians living in a wonderful country, given to us by God, sustained to us by many men and women who have laid down their own life, who have in some ways identified with who? The Jesus way to at most promote freedom, that's what they wanted to do, and dignity. As a pastor, I'm not lambasting America, I'm simply saying look at the parallels in the book of Revelation, right? We can be 100% patriotic Americans. We should be. But, we should not, I'll say it this way, fully commit all of ourselves to a nation which will fade when the Lord says enough. We should see the Jesus way. We should see the gospel. We should see the servant way and go, at its heart, all government and all nations at the core have a tendency to lean towards the empire way but I know my Savior, I know his goodness, I know the servant's way, I know he's died for me. And that's what this whole book is about. I'm going to freak you out a lot. I don't believe Jesus Christ will murder 250 million people at the Battle of Armageddon. But I believe that account is true and real and it's symbol, and hopefully one day we will get there and teach you that, Right? This book is wild, by the way. I've looked at it for like three weeks now. Some of it's scary. But the main message from John the Revelator is that critique of the world system. The beast, per se. We've seen many beasts over the history of time, right? We could bring up probably 50 regimes and you would go, Okay, enough, I don't want to hear about them anymore. The Assyrians, the first who got the northern kingdom in trouble, the Assyrians were an empire way back when, about 3,500 years ago. Their soldiers got bored with killing, because they did it so much. They would actually have contests in the arid desert to see who could keep a prisoner alive the longest before they died. That's a beast. Empires take what they want by force and don't even look back. Jesus Christ took the force of sin and death and wrath on the cross, was raised again, and now says, come unto me all who are weary. Come unto me all who are looking for rest in the grace of my gospel. We know about Germany's problems in the 30s. That's the way of the beast. People die. Jesus Christ would carry his own cross most of the way to Golgotha. He would willingly lay out his hands on the crossbeams. He would be put to death for my sin and yours and all who would repent and believe. And he simply says, come back to your father. 
come back to your home. Isn't it amazing to live in this free country? I'll say amen to that. Isn't America been blessed mightily? We say amen to that. My only pastoral advice here is to see our nation and see the kingdom for what they are. This nation is a blessing. It's not our home. Amen? Christ is seated at the right hand with his father and our father waiting for the time to take us home. And that's the hope that we have in the gospel. So all throughout the book, just to give it away, there are, I'm not going to say commands, but there, are, there is strong teaching of how to resist the empire way. And that's what the book is about. That's why in verse 3, what does it say? Keep the commandments, what's written. In this prophecy, keep it. It's actually funny, too. Basically, Godzilla comes out of the earth, and all the men in the world come to fight Jesus, and you know what Jesus shows up as? A tiny little slain lamb. And he goes, okay, let's fight. That's funny. And the lamb wins. He's already won. There's satire in this revelation. There's imagery that will go, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna skip over the Bible reading to that one because Ashton won't sleep. She would actually sleep. Kayla would be like, I'm not sure. Because there's some imagery, right? But if you're peaked, let me know. I'd like to study it some more. Maybe we'll go on a journey for a couple of months in the early new year about this revelation, John the Revelator, John the Divine. We can kind of sit and see this parallel between empire and kingdom and, and how we're called to, to live and walk in the midst of both. And uh, I chose to share this 4th of July weekend because I do love our nation. I'm grateful for our nation. But as a pastor and as your friend, it's always a good heart check to, rem to remember this nation is a blessing from God. It is not the end. His kingdom and our future home is the end. That was won by Jesus Christ. So again, we do it often, but for those of you who have served and fought for our country, we say thank you. For those of you who have family and friends that have served and fought for our country, we say thank you. We're about to go over after communion and enjoy the good old traditions in our country. I know there's hot dogs, hamburgers, and apple pie. We say thank you. Uh, but in a few moments, uh, John and Russ are going to come back up. We're going to partake in the Lord's Supper together. The elements will be passed. We both have bread and wine on the same tray. That's working out pretty well. Uh, the gentleman will lead us in one song. And at the end, I'll come and lead us in the Lord's Supper, and we'll be adjourned after that. But let me pray, and uh, we'll continue. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this mysterious, uh, divine uh, gift you've given to this man, John, many years ago. Thank you for the ability to hear other people's thoughts and interpretations of what you revealed. Thank you that above all, um, it is a portrait and a picture of the full unveiling of Jesus and his beauty and his glory, the lamb that was slain. Thank you that you've given us the privilege of living in this great nation, one which at its heart, I believe, seeks to do good. And Father, thank you for the men and women who have served throughout the years to keep our freedom here at home uh, available to us. Father, we thank you for your son and we thank you for, or your son and we thank you for this table. We thank you for the gift of communion. In Jesus name. Amen.